Hello, and welcome to the Bethesda Podcast feed. It's here you can find all of our recorded services. And for more information, you can visit us at gobethesda.com. We hope you enjoy. I'm honored to be here, happy to be here. Happy to be here for the first time with my wife, Reagan Hill. And I am stuffed on Thanksgiving food, so I will try my best to be short, sweet, and to the point today. Uh, but I appreciate the opportunity to speak here. Y'all's pastor and y'all's, pa- y'all's pastor team is amazing. Donovan and Valerie are some of the greatest people on earth. And I am honored to be able to call them mom and dad. If you want to go ahead and open up to the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. And then we'll jump down to verses 12 through 15. And while y'all find that, I'm going to take the opportunity to drink this here water bottle. And don't worry, me and Reagan's life is not nearly as put together as he makes it out to be. (laughs) The book of Joshua, chapter 1. And after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nuns, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. And then skipping down to verses 12 through 15. But to the Rebunites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and giving you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the lands which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan, but you shall pass before your brethren armed It got small on this screen. (laughs) Where's the word armed? (laughs) Sick. Armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord has given your brethren rest, as he gave you, and they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and enjoy it, which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side of the Jordan towards the sunrise. And today, I just want to talk about crossing the Jordan. Lord, thank you for this time together, for this opportunity to come and to worship you, to give you praise, to know you more, to feel your spirit move in this place. I thank you for everything that you have already set in motion for this day, and that you would move in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You can all be seated. So here in the book of Joshua, in the very first chapter, it's at this point in the Hebrews' history, we find them in the very beginning of a new season. At this point, it had been 41 years since the Hebrews had left the land of Egypt. There were only two people alive that would have remembered everything in Egypt, that being Caleb and Joshua. Everyone else would have either been too young or they would have passed away during the 40 years that the Israelites had spent in the wilderness. But they would have at least known the stories. 
everyone who would have been alive during the Egyptian slavery would have dreamed of this very moment. God's chosen people were coming into the fruition of their God-given identity. They were slaves to nobody, no Egyptian taskmaster in sight, and they were about to establish themselves as a people, not as a nomadic set of tribes wandering through the wilderness. No, they were about to establish themselves as a nation in the land of Canaan. They had everything they needed. God had shown himself faithful to them time and time again. They had defeated kings. They had received food from heaven. And, of course, they had received freedom from their Egyptian bondage. They had already received the law from Moses on Mount Sinai. They had carried their tabernacle with them for 40 years. And at this point in history, they were, they were quite adequate with how to properly worship God in it. Their trail of testimonies had brought them up to this point right here, through the Red Sea, across the wilderness, right at the cusp of their promise. Because at this point, they were about to cross over the Jordan. They were about to cross over to the Jordan, into the land of Canaan, and take the land that God had promised them. Take the land that God had promised Abraham all those years ago. But why were they in Egypt in the first place? Sometimes we kind of skip over this portion of the story. We always hear about the exodus from Egypt. I think they made a movie about it, at least one. <laughs> at the end of Genesis, Joseph, the son of Jacob, who would later be called Israel, was betrayed by his brothers and sold into Egyptian slavery. I believe that... The Reverend Charles has been speaking a lot about Joseph and his ups and downs in his life. So we should kind of be familiar with that at least. But we know that God used Joseph and he eventually became the second in command of Egypt. And when a famine came through all the lands, uh, Joseph had all of his, his family, all of his people, all of his tribe move from Canaan to Egypt in order to survive. God had miraculously made a way for his family and his people to live in time of famine. So what happens next? Well, the Hebrews become complacent. We don't know what happened exactly, but it's likely that it was easier to stay put. I mean, when you live in a land that treats you like royalty, why would you want to leave? And so the Hebrews stayed in Egypt. It wasn't God's promised land, but it was the miracle that had kept them alive. And they stayed, and they stayed put, and they stayed put, and eventually the Egyptians forgot about Joseph. So I'm going to sidetrack right here, and I'll tell you, who here goes on long road trips on a regular basis? <laughs> so I'll tell you this. St. Louis is about a 10-hour drive from this spot right here. It's a terrible drive, especially that little stretch in Arkansas right there where there's nothing, not a gas station in sight. It's awful. It is miserable. But I don't know how everybody else is on long road trips, but for me, when I'm, when I'm driving... I want to stop as little as possible. If I can consolidate 
every stop into one. I'm a happy camper. Tell you what, if I can get my lunch, I can get my restroom break, and I can get my gas station stop in one go, that's a grand slam right there. It's perfect. I mean, that might, that might mean that I have to give up Popeye's to eat Arby's. <laughs> but it's okay. I'm being efficient. It saves time. I think I, have, I took 10 minutes off a 10-hour drive. It's perfect. <laughs> but I'm making, I'm making my compromise. I'm eating my Arby's instead of my Popeye's or my, you know, whatever good food there is out there. I might be eating a Subway, but at least I'm getting there faster because I'm compromising because I'm on my way to somewhere else. That's just a little stop along the way. And for the Hebrews, Egypt was a stop along the way, but that was never meant to be their final destination. The miracle they experienced yesterday, that's not going to be the, story, the only story they tell for the rest of their lives. No, because we can't become complacent in our Egypt. You see, they... The Hebrews lived with the Egyptians. They might have even talked like the Egyptians, but they were not Egyptians. They were God's chosen people with a promise on them. But they stayed complacent in Egypt, and they became slaves. We may live in this world, but we would best remember that we are not of this world. We can live in this world We might even want to talk like the people of this world, but we cannot become complacent here because that's when we become enslaved by the things of this world. You'll see water can become stagnant if it's not moving at all. Nothing's coming into it and it's not moving anywhere. That's when bacteria and all those things begin to grow in it. No matter what stretch of the journey we're on, whether we've been living, serving God for 10 years or whether this is the first time we've come into a church, you got to be asking yourself, how can I know God more? How can I please God? How can I serve God? How can I serve people? How can I serve my church? How can, how, what can God do for my family? How can I serve my family? Life doesn't stand still, so there's no reason for us to stand still either. Amen? There's no reason to stand still where we are because our miracle from yesterday isn't the same story we're going to be telling yet tomorrow. So let's go back to the book of Joshua. So the Rebunites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they had already made a deal with Moses all the way back in the book of Numbers, chapter 32. They they found a land that they had uh, taken from a king that had challenged them. And so these two and a half tribes come to Moses and they tell him, we're sheep herders and this land is perfect for us. And so Moses, at first he's angry, he thinks they're cowards, but they make a deal with Moses. Rebbenites, Gadites, half-tribe of Manasseh, these two and a half tribes, uh, they make a deal with Moses and say, we'll send in our fighting men to go with you over the Jordan so that way that you're not going alone. That way that we are still supporting the rest of our Israelite brethren to help drive out the Canaanites and take the promised land that God's given to us. So, ignoring, let's ignore the fact that what I'm about to say, God would probably let them die off. Uh, The land of, we know that they are all currently encamped east of the Jordan. The land said that this side of the Jordan was a good land. 
It was a fertile land, perfect for raising sheep and cattle. And obviously, it was big enough for all 12 tribes to be able to make camp here. And it was a far more lively place than the wilderness that they had traveled in for 40 years. Here, there are resources. Here, before the Jordan, there is security. There's safety. There's rest from wandering through the wilderness. They could have set up a home with no reason to fight the Canaanites. On top of this, Moses was the one to make the deal with these tribes. But we know in the very beginning of this book that Moses is dead. Joshua's the leader now. And on top of that, Joshua was one of only two people that remembered Egypt. So not only does he know that we're already in a better place than we used to be, he knows, he knows how good they have it more than anyone. Joshua knew the bondage and the captivity that his people had suffered. He saw it firsthand. He remembered being forced to make bricks without straw. He knew the beatings of the Egyptian taskmasters. He also remembered the plagues, the hail, the hail and fire, the darkness, the river of blood, the Passover. He saw God working miracles time and time again. And as they traversed, it all comes to a head in the first chapter of Joshua. Moses is dead. He had died looking out over the land that was given to them. But Moses didn't know the fight. He never crossed the Jordan. He died before they got to that point. He didn't know how hard it would be. That was Joshua's job. That was Joshua's responsibility. And it makes me wonder, if they never did cross over the Jordan, I'm going to pretend that I'm not a, I'm going to pretend that I'm a pragmatic person for a second and put myself in Joshua's shoes. We've come all this way here. Our people have camped here on this side of the Jordan. There's resources. We're safe. We are leagues better than we ever have been before. If I'm speaking pragmatically, why would I cross over the Jordan now? We have it good right here. This is a perfect spot. We're all here. We're all safe. Yes, God gave us that promised land over there, but you know the wars and the battles and the struggles we're going to have to go through on that side of the Jordan? Not for me. I can stay here and be safe where I am. I can be complacent right here. God's already done enough for me. And this is a, I'm better than I ever have been. I think this is a good camping spot. What about now? We can come to church and we can feel God's spirit and leave here feeling better. We can even know that there's enough people, there's good people here that make a good environment for my family. I can come here, I can feel good, I can go home, and just being here is enough that my life is leagues better. Maybe I, get, maybe I got a touch from God at one point, and I feel great, and you know, it changed my life. I'm living proof of this. When I was born, I was born with a debilitating speech impediment where I could not talk properly. I was told that I would never talk properly, and it, I could only be understood by my immediate family and a very few people that knew how I talked. But at five years old, God healed me shocking the speech therapist and changing the trajectory of my life forever. So yeah, God saved me. God's even healed me. He's forgiven me. He's filled me with the Holy Ghost, and I've been baptized. And it's incredible. I have an amazing testimony just showing how good God is. But then why go any further than this? 
because my life, because my life is so much better with God now, then why would I ever want to live a life without him? God's given me a promise, my, my own promises in my life. And if God's shown himself faithful to me back when I was five years old and time and time again, then why would I stop on this side of the Jordan now when there are promises over on the other side of the Jordan for me? Amen? There are promises for me. There are promises for you. There are promises for our families. There are promises out there for each of us. The question isn't, why should I go further, but rather, why should I stay on this side of the Jordan? There is so much more. There is so much more on the other side of the Jordan for me. This is only the beginning. And so Joshua traveled across the Jordan because there was more. And there were hard battles. And there was losses. There were hardships. There were struggles. But God's promised land was across there. They, in order to take the promised land, they had to go take the promise. We can't afford to become complacent with God's promises. Just as Israel took the promised land, when God gives us a promise, we have to reach out to God. We have to take that step in faith, and we have to take hold of that promise. And complacency goes against the very way that you and I were created. All the way back in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 1, verse 26, and I'll read it here in a second. A man named John Walton actually writes a lot about the language of Eastern mythology and the way that the book of Genesis was written. I'm not going to use a lot of big words. He uses a lot of big words, and I'm not going to because I don't like big words. But John Walton notes that in Genesis 1, when God creates human beings, it's different than every other creation narrative that would have been done at the time. See, in, the, in, those, in those surrounding cultures, the, uh, the creation of people was done either as an act of rebellion by, by a lesser god or done as a power play by a lesser god to a greater god in those different mythologies. And so when you compare the book of Genesis and the creation account of humanity... It's not, that God, it's not that it was a power play. This was a serene thing. This was very meticulous and calm. So we know that God created each of us for a reason. Because this wasn't done just as a, oh, I'm going to make a power play against such and such. No, this was, I am making this very strategically, very calmly, very peacefully. And I'm making people, I'm making humans, I'm making people like you and I for a reason. So what's that reason? In Genesis 1, verse 26, the verse reads, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Look at that first part. Let us make man in our image. We are created in the very image of God. To go back to more ancient Eastern culture, and I promise this is going somewhere. When something is said to carry an image, I like an, it's a lot of the same language that idol worship uses. When an, when an idol is created, 
That idol, that stone or that statue, that lifeless thing is said to carry the image of the deity that it signifies. So they didn't worship the rock because it was, they believed that that was physically the deity they thought it was, or that it could do exactly what it could do. They worshiped that, that statue, that stone, that rock, that formation, whatever it was. They worshiped it because it carried the essence, or they thought it did, of that thing. But then Genesis flips that on its head. Genesis says that God didn't put his essence, his image, into some lifeless rock. Genesis says that God put his essence, his image, into each of us. That means that when God wants something done, when God has work that he needs to do here on the earth, he uses the image bearers on the earth. That's us. He uses us, and today he uses the body of Christ to accomplish his works here on the earth. What does that mean? That means that if God has a job that he needs to do, he will enlist you to do it. He will enlist me to do it. He will enlist one of us to carry his will out here on the earth. And there is work to be done. That's why I'm not simply content in staying on this side of the Jordan. No, I'm chasing after God's promises because I know that there is still work to accomplish. There is more people to be saved. There are more people to be reached. It's already been prophesied that we're going to have an incredible revival in this church. God's not just going to accomplish that willy-nilly out of the air. God's going to use each of us to bring a revival into Bethesda Church. God uses each of us to reach Baton Rouge, to reach Prairieville and Gonzales, to reach your workplace, to reach your school, to reach each place, each person here. He uses each of us to, be, to bring a revival here in Prairieville. And you know, probably the hardest part of this stretch of the journey, at least for Joshua, the hardest part probably wasn't the temptation to stay put. Joshua was pretty optimistic in the things of God. And the hardest part probably wasn't the fear of having to fight all the people ahead of him. No, the hardest part is found in the very beginning of Joshua. In the second verse of Joshua, God tells Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go. Moses was Joshua's mentor. Joshua went up to Mount Sinai with Moses when God gave the law to the Israelites. He was, a, he was the prophet that led them out of the Egypt through the wilderness for 40 years, and Moses was right there by his side for every step of the way. And it says that they had 30 days to mourn for Moses. They had felt the pain for, from losing Moses. For Joshua, it must have been a special kind of pain. Change is painful enough on its own. You couple that with loss, and that's, another, that's a whole other animal right there. And when a leader dies, the nation, the body, the body of people that that leader led, is often left exposed and vulnerable. Those times of transition, that's a weakness. Those times of transition, that's when that complacency can creep in. I don't know how I can go on past this point. Those times of transition, those times of loss and those times of hurting pain, that's, that's when it can become 
difficult to go on. But in his pain and in his weakness, Joshua was not complacent. I'm wrapping up. We can all go ahead and stand. The year 1915, in the middle of World War I, around 500 Russian soldiers were holed up into the Oswiec Fortress. A critical railway line ran from the Bialystok to Konigsberg, and it crossed straight through this Russian fortress. Thus, this was a prime target for the German offensive. They wanted this line. This was a key location. In fact, the Germans had tried to claim this fortress just one year prior. And though they damaged it with bombs and heavy artillery, the Russian fortress stood strong. But this time, the Germans came prepared with a new weapon. They came with a gaseous mixture of chlorine and bromine designed to kill everything that it touched. And on August 6th, the Germans launched their gas batteries into the Russian fortress. The fortress being old, not well insulated, not prepared for a gas attack, suffered heavy losses. I will not, I'm not going to go into the brutality of the effects of this weapon, but it was devastating. Leaves instantly turned from green to black as soon as they came into contact with this gas. Insects dropped from the air instantly. Chemical burns, dissolved skin, and permanently damaged lungs were just some of the devastating effects of this gaseous weapon. The sight was horrific. While at first one could hear loud screams and sound of a desperate Russian defensive scramble, quickly the noise changed to a cold, dead silence. And 7,000 German soldiers marched forward, confident that every person in this fortress was dead. But imagine the shock when they started taking artillery fire. Out of the trenches, coughing and literally holding themselves together, soldiers began to rise from the trenches, taking up arms. In what would later be called the attack of the dead men, 100 Russian soldiers, bleeding and deformed, took up their bayonets and took one last desperate scramble at the German offensive. The Germans were terrified. They thought that they had been dead, and they fled in a full retreat. And by 1,100 hours that morning, the fortress was completely under Russian control. No matter what your situation is now, even if you've gone through some of the worst stuff imaginable, there are promises of God that are still on your life. He wasn't done working with Israel. Moses was dead. And he wasn't done with them yet. He wasn't done with Joshua. And he's not done with you. Just because there's pain. Just because... just That doesn't mean that life has to stand still. Just because there's hardship doesn't mean that your life has to become stagnant. And these altars are open right now. If you need a miracle in your life of any kind, I invite you down to the front. If you need a deliverance in your life of any kind, 
I invite you down to the front. If you're tired of being complacent in your walk with God, I invite you down to the front because God's not done moving in this church. God's not done moving in your life, in the lives of your family. God's only just beginning. There is more. There are promises on your life that we can reach out and take right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us. And for more information, you can visit us at GoBethesda.com. You can also visit us in person at 15050 Daigle Road, Prairieville, Louisiana. Services are at 10 a.m. Sunday and 7 p.m. on Wednesday.